You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN Milwaukee. Also the Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN Arkansas. And it's not the state. It is a small town in Wisconsin. Uh, spelt S-A-W at the end. So Arkansas, Wisconsin. Over by Eau Claire. It looks a, a little bit north of La Crosse over by Minneapolis. So shout out to uh, the Arkansas affiliate, the ESPN Arkansas affiliate. I've never been. Uh, it, it looks it looks beautiful. Uh, I will have to make my way over there sometime. Uh, but that is our affiliate for the day. Joining me as always will be Frank Madden. Uh, Frank is the founder of brewhoop.com and my good friend. And we actually talked a little bit longer than we thought we were going to last night about the Sports Illustrated Top 100. And we actually kind of got a surprise today in that we expected Chris Middleton to be in the 30 to 40 range. He was not in the 30 to 40 range. He He's actually going to end up being... Uh, higher than 30 on the list uh, i can't imagine he's that much outside of the the top 30 so I'd, somewhere in the i would guess probably the 27 to 30 range but i i don't really know we'll, we'll kind of have to watch and see but uh, middleton ends up being a little bit higher on the list than we both thought and i guess it shouldn't be that big of a surprise as we mentioned on yesterday's podcast both uh Obviously, Ben Golliver takes a lot of grief from Andrew Sharp as they explain the top 100 on open floor about how much he likes Middleton. Obviously, they had Middleton a spot above DeMar DeRozan last year. Uh, so, you know, he, he has always kind of been a fan. I think Rob Mahoney is also a big Middleton guy. Um, one of the, and as I, as I said yesterday, they were really far ahead on Middleton than a lot of people. They, they've had him in the top 40 now for the last two years. Uh, so now to see him move up into the top 30 um, maybe shouldn't be all that big of a surprise because obviously those two guys like his game quite a bit and, and that's sort of what happens. So we'll see exactly how far up on that list he ended up being and Frank and I can talk about that on the final episode of the week uh, once we find out exactly where he is and we find out where Giannis is and uh, we can try to figure out all of that but the thing that we're going to talk a little bit about today is we mentioned that Brooke Lopez was at 99, Eric Bledsoe was at 53, and we are kind of curious about both their rankings because both of them were ranked higher last year than they are this year. And uh, it it's just this fascinating thing about perception in how you view a certain player when they have certain expectations and 
uh, where you move them in a, in a ranking uh, because of what happened the previous year and how you weigh in their previous experience and, and their previous track record. Like It's all just kind of fascinating to watch how uh, players' value and, and the perception of their value can kind of change because of some of those other things, some of those things on the outside. So Frank and I are going to get into all of that today. We had this conversation last night, uh, but ended up splitting it into two because it ended up being a little bit longer. So this is the part, the second part of our Sports Illustrated Top 100 conversation. Hopefully you enjoy it, uh, and hopefully it ends up being a good one. Thanks for listening, and here it is. One thing I just realized, we mentioned Brooke Lopez at 99. We mentioned Eric Bledsoe at 53. We did not mention the fact that I think there's a chance they both outperform that. And it was one thing I I wanted to talk about a little bit was you mentioned that Brooke Lopez was at 45 last year, I believe, maybe 44. Um, And when I think about Brooke Lopez, it, it comes down to some of those some of those situational things, some of those context-based things where part of me wonders, you know, if you put Brooke Lopez in the right situation, can he recruit, can, can he recoup a bunch of that value? Because I think there's a, a, certainly a chance that he can because last year, as Rob Mahoney explained in, in their article, you know, the Lakers weren't really worried about Brooke Lopez. Like he was pretty low on their uh, developmental uh, rankings as far as who needed to get shots, who needed to get developed. Uh, They weren't really all that concerned about that. And I don't blame them in any way, but for Brooke Lopez, uh, that's going to, you know, it's going to take out some of your value because you're, you're not going to play as much maybe as you could. You're not going to get the ball as much as maybe you could. So I'm really interested to see like, I just think this situation is is pretty pretty damn close to perfect for Brooke Lopez as you you kind of get to play into all of your strengths. Like this Bucks team has one needed a center for a while, so you can just slot in as the starting center or the center that eats up most of the minutes, however they end up using them. You get to eat up a bunch of minutes. Uh you're pretty clearly the best center on the team. Uh you can get to play in the pick and roll a little bit. Uh, you can spread the floor a little bit. Uh, you don't have to create. Uh, you're not being asked to be the the number two creator. You're not, you're not asked to be the number one. Heck, you're not even asked to be the number three. Um, you're just kind of able to do a number of things. So if there's a night where... Uh, you're playing the equivalent of a Thon Maker John Henson backcourt. Like, okay, go to work, buddy. That's you. <laughs> you can you can go and take those guys wherever you want, and you'll get some touches. And if there's a night where the matchup isn't in your favor, okay, well then focus on boxing out on the defensive end and spreading the floor for Giannis that he can take advantage. Like, I think it it is just such a it's such a positive situation for him. Low pressure with with the contract that he had, a, a kind of a contract year for him, and that he can go wherever he wants after this year. And you know, maybe he can be on a team that wins fifty games, and he, and he can be a large part of that. So, to me, I'm I'm I told you before we started potting that you know maybe I'm a Brook Lopez stand this year just because I think the opportunity for him is is huge. And I just think I like a lot of the things that he does. 
And the fact that he can be the big body box out guy, which he is like, that's what he's done his whole career. We've mentioned before that, you know, his defensive rebound numbers aren't huge, but his team's defensive they're bad. rebound. They're bad. Yeah. yeah. He's the ultimate, the ultimate Lopez brother. He doesn't grab defensive rebounds. So Correct. everybody just looks at the stats and is like, Oh, he's a bad rebounder. And then you look at the team's performance and you say, Oh, they always are really much better rebounding when he's on the court. So it's, uh, the the common Lopez brother theme. Yeah, so he's a big body that boxes out, and you know what that means, right? Like if he's boxing out and someone else has to grab the rebounds, hmm, who could fly around and grab rebounds? Man, I wonder if the Bucks have a guy like. That. Oh yeah, they have Giannis. <laughs> <laughs> no, He'll fly no. around. Yeah, he but. will fly around, but he, he would not be ideal for that. And I just think, you know, we always talk about Westbrook having guys that box out for him. Steven Adams, in many ways, does that for him. Uh, that Thunder team does that for him so he can grab rebounds and start the break. Giannis already grabs a bunch of rebounds, but I do feel like he'll be freed up even more to, to go out and do that. And maybe he's not grabbing contested rebounds. He's grabbing rebounds where he can grab and go. And then all of a sudden you have a fast break started because you have big body Brooke Lopez in the middle just eating up uh, potential rebounders and Giannis being able to go grab those uh, rebounds free and get going. So I, I don't know. Like, I, I do think there is there's serious potential for Brooke Lopez to really outplay that. And I, I guess maybe part of also what drags him down is just kind of the the – the changing value of big men league wide. I would assume that's, that's certainly part of him being 99 that the league has become more guard and wing dependent. And that's where you get a lot of your value. But I mean, I think there's a a chance that uh, maybe this is crazy. I think there's a chance he's a top 50 player this year. Like uh, I do think he could have that good of a year. Uh, There's probably going to be a problem with usage. That'll probably drag him down into the seventies somewhere, but I just think this is such a great opportunity for him. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, this kind of gets to the context, and especially context for big men is so important, right? I mean, um, you know, I think he's going to have he's going to be in a really good position, um, and I don't know. We'll we'll see. I mean, it's funny because I mean, he basically didn't play in fourth quarters last year. Um, I would expect he has a much better chance to play in you know fourth quarter, certainly this year. But by the same token, we'll see. I mean, the the league, I think, I think opposing lineups are not going to make it easier to play Brook Lopez late in games just because of the mobility and, and three point shooting, and just because again, as much as he can shoot three pointers himself, he's he's obviously not a guy who's well suited to chasing mobile bigs around the floor and. You know, I mean, look, the, the the Rockets are kind of an extreme example in terms of how teams play. But, I mean, the Rockets have a tremendous center in Clint Capella. And granted, Capella's obviously not a floor spacer himself. But, I mean, Clint Capella just didn't play late in a lot of games. I mean, he's yeah. he's a phenomenal – he wasn't an all-star. But, I mean, he's he's not far from being an all-star caliber uh, big man. And, he, I mean, he's the, he was our third best player probably last year. Um, and, you know, the Rockets just choose to not play him oftentimes late in games um, for, yeah. for matchup reasons. So you can understand why guys like Lopez, who obviously have far less defensive mobility, granted, again, he can spread the floor himself, but um, but you can understand how that makes it really hard to, to find kind of big roles on a team. But again, you know, is there are there 24, 25 minutes a game for him? Probably you can find that, yeah. Um, 
And if you can, then I think, as you said, I think he'll have a nice opportunity to to be a guy that that complements what the rest of the Bucks are doing. And um, again, I, it's tough. Like you know, he's not going to be a twenty point per game guy like he was in in uh, in Brooklyn, and and that's what you know he was the year before he got that you know forty five ranking. So again, I don't know if I don't think he's ever going to yeah. be able to get back to that. But um, but he doesn't have to in Milwaukee, obviously, and that's obviously part of the appeal if you're you know the Bucks. Um, and, and we'll see, cause again, I, I don't, I don't foresee kind of Brooke shifting into some like bigger, broader role kind of in the long term. You know, I don't, I don't think he's going to go back to being a guy who gets tons of post touches and scores 20 points a game at any point. I mean, he's 30 years old, so he's an interesting guy. Cause even if he plays well in Milwaukee, I don't, I don't think he necessarily goes out and finds some, you know, much bigger contract elsewhere. So I think he's a really interesting guy to watch. Cause if he's a nice fit in Milwaukee, you know, maybe he's a guy that, that does come back, but obviously at this point, you know, it's, it's really about next year for him. I, I think I would agree with that. I want to talk about Bledsoe too. I, I don't know if you wrote, if you read the write up they had on him at all. And I can't even remember who wrote it at this point. And I don't feel like reopening the article. Oliver did. Um, so, Oliver okay. did. so Ben wrote that and I, I'm, I thought it was fascinating because when you read it, he mentioned the fact that you know, the the guy that put up crazy numbers in Phoenix might not have actually been Eric Bledsoe. Instead, he's this other guy. And I mean, I think Ben's a smart guy and and I, I do trust a lot of the observations that he makes. But I mean, if you look at post All-Star break Bledsoe, and again, post the post All-Star break world is just a impossible to navigate hellscape. So like, I, I understand that. Like, I understand that weird things can happen in that space, but post all-star break, he was, I mean, he was Phoenix numbers, Eric Bledsoe. Like, he he was putting up numbers. And again, I don't think he was hurting the team. I didn't think it it was a, a selfish type of Eric Bledsoe putting up numbers. Like I, I thought it, he was very efficient in those times. He was taking the shots that he, deserve might be the wrong word, but the the shots, they were in rhythm. They were the shots that he needed, the shots that uh, had kind of been allocated to him. And I thought he, he kind of found a good flow where maybe some of the old Phoenix Bledsoe was there. I think the one, the one answer we've gotten from seeing Bledsoe move from Phoenix to Milwaukee is that the defensive lapses aren't going anywhere. Like they're, there was always the idea that you put him on a good team, he'll start focusing more, he'll stop taking those chances, he'll stop having those momentary uh, kind of lapses in concentration or focus. Like I don't think those are going anywhere. Like I, I think that is a part of the Eric Bledsoe experience. But with all of that being said, like I don't know that I'm I'm okay with the idea of kind of killing off the and I don't want to say insane numbers, but like the bigger numbers close to 20 points per game, uh, Eric Bledsoe. Like I, I thought we did kind of see some of that in a more controlled environment. And, uh, you know, the lapses were still there defensively, but I did think there was at least a stretch where he put up numbers. Would you agree with that? Or um, what did you think of like the write-up and kind of how that was framed? Yeah, I mean, to put some context around it, so post-All-Star break, uh, 32 and a half minutes per game, 19 points, six assists, 63% true shooting. He shot 51% from the field, 40% from three, um, almost two steals, half a block a game, um, fewer than three turnovers a game. I mean, you know, he, he, he was really good. You know, he, he was really efficient. Um, 
I think he came more to terms with kind of Giannis being the center of the offense as well, and that he just you know wasn't necessarily always going to be the the key initiator. Um, does he still you know sometimes dwell on the ball? He does that thing where if he gets a mismatch, he like dribbles it out slowly and then like settles for mid range jumpers. You know, <laughs> he still does that stuff. But you know, it's interesting kind of looking also at the numbers. I mean, he he really doesn't take many mid range jumpers for a point guard. He's kind of well below average in terms of his share of shots from uh, from mid range, uh, and he takes uh, certainly a much higher percentage uh, at the rim. And I mean, he was seventy one percent shooting via Basketball Reference at the rim last year. I mean, that's friggin' phenomenal for um, for a six one six two guy. Um, and so I think that was one of the interesting things was his nominal, I mean, his raw scoring went down a little bit, you know, compared to Phoenix, um, his assist numbers went down a little bit, but you know, again, I mean, that's cause he wasn't really the main guy having to create offense with, with Giannis and, and also to the lesser extent, Chris, um, around to kind of take on a lot of that responsibility. So, you know, again, I think part of it was just sort of naturally an out, an out, you know, product of, of just sort of his role on the team. Um, and then, but interesting because, like, you know, again, like, you talk about some of the sort of second indicators of, like, athleticism, right? Like, is he, is he, is he losing something? Um, and, you know, you look at some of the kind of numbers around that, um, you know, his, his free throw rate was down relative to sort of some of his prime years in Phoenix where he was a guy that got to the line a lot. He still was, was solid in that regard. Um, but you look at, you know, his efficiencies, you know, in, in his time in Milwaukee, 58. 0.5% true shooting. That's the best he's ever had um, in the league uh, in, since he's come to the league. Um, another thing that's interesting, so he had eight dunks in 71 games, 18 dunks in 2,200 minutes last year. Um, his previous year in Phoenix, 2,200 minutes, four dunks. The year before that, uh, 1,100 minutes, four dunks. The year before that, 2,800 minutes, 19 dunks. You have to go back to his third year in the league when he was 23 years old, when he had more dunks per minute um than than last year which is kind of interesting right because again that's not like the be all end all of like you know athleticism indicators but um but i think we saw him um you know still able to to use that kind of you know next level athleticism and strength um his block rate for a point guard he was in the 98th 99th percentile per cleaning the glass in both block rate and steal rate which again like isn't shouldn't be confused with saying like oh he's a great defender but um, obviously being able to make plays like that with blocks and steals is something that differentiates guys, right? Like not many guys can do that. So if he could mix some of that risk taking with kind of more, um, you know, consistent effort and decision-making defensively, yep, I think you'd have the makings of, um, you know, the kind of special defender that people viewed him as um, earlier in his career. So I, I think that's interesting. Cause I mean, again, that was, his, you know, he's 28 years old going on 29, um, at some point, obviously, he's going to start declining athletically. You worry about his his health, given just his his history, some of the new stuff. Um, but I think certainly the good news, if you're a Bucks fan, hoping for big things from Bledsoe to to help this team, is that you know some of the stuff that you would expect to see as far as you know him having to become more of a jump shooter, him not being able to get to the rim, him not being able to finish, some of those things. We didn't see that last year, and and again there may have been some flukiness in that as well. But, um, you know, as I told Nate on the dunked on preview of the Bucks, we, we talk a lot about, you know, Giannis benefiting from Ilyasova and Lopez in the space. They could, you know, potentially not, having, you know, John Henson out there as much, or, you know, not having kind of traditional centers out there as much. I think that, I mean, we don't, we, we haven't really talked about Bledsoe also benefiting from that, but to me, that seems like a really, he seems like a really obvious guy who, um, again, like when he starts driving to the rim, I mean, if John Henson isn't, you know, 
within 10 feet of the basket, bringing a defender with him. If Brooke Lopez is out on that wing or, you know, setting the screens and, and yep. you know, picking and popping to the three-point line rather than um, having to roll to the rim, um, I think that really does also change the geometry of the court for Bledsoe as well. And, um, again, uh, there's going to be, there's always push and pull, right? Like something's working in your favor, something's work against you. I don't think Bledsoe is going to, like, you know, become some like huge all-star caliber guy for the bucks next season. Um, I think he's, you know, probably going to be around that same ballpark in terms of productivity, but I think if he can just make, you know, some better, more consistent decisions defensively, um, improve his shots a little bit, just improve his decision-making a little bit. I mean, if he's being, I mean, if he can be a 58% true shooting guy who, um, you know, can score efficiently and, and, you know, hopefully knock down threes again, sort of in that mid thirties range, I think you'd be fine with that. Um, then he does become a guy that um, could even be like a top 40 ish type type player, which is where they, you know, they had him going into last year. So, um, yeah. so yeah, I mean, again, like I, I'm always hesitant to, to assume that a guy, a point guard who's athletic going into his year 29 season is going to improve in terms of his overall value. But sure. um, I think the narratives and, and sort of angles, especially with Bledsoe finally having a good coach, uh, knock on wood that that maybe you know again Mike Budenholzer could be the end of Eric Bledsoe in Milwaukee but he could also be a guy that that helps unlock Eric Bledsoe in a way that maybe we we haven't seen um, either in Milwaukee or or elsewhere and, and I I really like that point about Ilyasova and Lopez with Bledsoe because even even in the best setup last year for Bledsoe, it was what a Bledsoe Giannis pick and roll, and that was a play that the Bucks yep. used all the time. And with another big man clogging the court, correct. Uh, and it always ended up, or it felt like it always ended up. It didn't obviously always end up with it, but it always ended up with kind of two plays. One would be Eric Bledsoe having both defenders, his and Giannis's, uh, stick by Giannis, stay five to 10 feet off them and Eric Bledsoe take an elbow jumper or it would be, they'd find a way to come out. Um, they'd find a way to stop the dribble penetration. And then he would attempt to throw a lob to Giannis posting up on the left block. And it would be a terrible pass because for some reason, Eric Bledsoe can't throw that pass. Um, because it requires touch and he can't throw it one handed at him. I'm not a hundred percent sure why, but he can't throw it. Uh, but it would always be that setup in, and now all of a sudden, if it becomes, hey, Eric Bledsoe gets a pick and roll from Ersan Ilyasova, who immediately pops for three, what do you do as a defender? Are you going to stick there? Because if you're going to stick there, again, Eric Bledsoe isn't always the best passer, but he's more than capable enough of stopping his dribble and kicking out to a power forward for a three. Same thing with Brooke Lopez. One, you have a big body that you have to get through. And Eric Bledsoe is so quick, as you mentioned, that, you know, he can get to the rim. So, you know, if you get caught on that Lopez screen, he might turn the corner on you. If you decide to go under and somehow get caught up, then he kicks it out. How do you try to, how do you try to guard that? So uh, that's a really good point, Frank. It, it is something that we don't really mention. We don't talk about Eric Bledsoe. I think in the same ways that we talk about Chris Middleton and Yasta Kumbo for good reason, but also he's a very talented player. And I think what's interesting about this exercise is we just did Buck Survivor. And by the end of Buck Survivor, it was like, man, the Bucks. Do not have assets. They, they do not look good. 
And now we're going to do this top 100 exercises, top 100 conversation, and the Bucks are going to have four guys in the top. Again, I would say the top 75 uh, because I'll give Brooke Lopez a bump, but they're going to have four guys in the top 100. That seems pretty good. One of them in the top 10, probably top six. Another one in the top 35 to 40. Another guy in the top 55-ish. Like That seems helpful in building a good team. And it is funny. We already talked about it with Giannis, but you know just how you try to how value changes in different situations when you change the criteria of what you're looking for, how all all this changes and, you know, for a one year outlook. Yeah. I think the bucks look very interesting this year going forward. It becomes less interesting uh, and much more convoluted and much more difficult to figure out exactly who will be long-term assets. But for one year, they appear to have a lot of talent and they appear to have a coach that should be better than the coach that they had previously. And we can all argue about where Mike Boonholzer is and uh, the ranking of coaches league wide, but I think most everyone would call him a good coach. And so you have a good coach, you have talent. Seems like it should be a good year. Are you doubting uh, DJ Wilson's ability to become a top 100 player? Uh, in either this year or in the future. Is that, is that kind of what I'm reading into this? Um, it's certainly possible. You know, there's just a lot of guys out there. I'm not, I'm not sure if he can get there. Um, we'll have to see. Oh, I was gonna say, uh, we didn't talk about snubs, snubs on the list. And the one was Malcolm Brogdon, which I don't know that Malcolm Brogdon is a top 100 player. I think a lot of his value is intangible based. Um, if that makes any sense, obviously he has put up numbers, but I think it's a little bit difficult to actually, kind of see exactly what it all is. Obviously, he missed a number of games this year. That makes it more difficult. And then Jabari Parker was a snub as well. And I got to say, Frank, I didn't know if I would do this, but I do anytime some like league-wide kind of thing comes around, I do find myself peeking in and seeing what people think of Jabari Parker, even though he's no longer uh, a member of the Milwaukee Bucks. I, I do find myself peeking in because I'm curious to see what the narrative on him looks like uh, kind of as the years go by. Yeah, I was going to bring up Brogdon because um, he was a snub last year as well. Um, and I think I think if the I think the Bucks are going to kind of re- max out this year's sort of team, you know, if, if they're going to win low 50s, whatever, um, there's a chance that they need Brogdon to, you know, live, live his best life uh, and and be kind of maybe that that top 100 type guy um and you know again i mean keep in mind like if you're trying to put into context you know some of the other guys um that that are kind of in that top 100 range and obviously there's kind of an apples and oranges we mentioned lopez at 100 lonzo ball 100 um which i think to be honest i think lonzo can be a lot better than that just given he does a lot of stuff and if he just starts to make some threes that that could easily be you know a guy in the in maybe not the, the top half of the, the top 100, but um, could he be a 50s, 60s guy? I think he actually could be. Um, but like Pau Gasol, 98, uh, Reggie Jackson, 97, Dirk, 96, Damari Kerr, um, Fred, 94, which I thought was a little, Kelly Olenek, 93. I mean, I think they're they're absolutely in which you could see, um, you know, Malcolm being in the same sentences as, as some of these guys. So, uh, and if he is, then, then I think certainly something, you know, you'd feel better about where the Bucks end up this season because you know, again, especially given we view Brogdon best suited to to an off the bench role. If you've got you know a six man who's a top one hundred player, um, that matters. That that gives you definitely a, a different look and ability to um, put together you know more you know different types of lineups than uh, than you know you you might if you if you don't have that kind of depth. So um, so yeah, uh, 
four top one our players. And if you obviously, if it was a fifth in Malcolm Brogdon, uh, that only, only makes you more dangerous. All right, Frank, I think that is going to be our top 100 conversation. I believe I'm um, looking at the time on this podcast. I'm guessing this got split into two podcasts. So whenever this aired, thanks for listening both on Tuesday and whatever other day this aired. We appreciate you always coming by again. Uh, always send us affiliates uh, for our various ESPN places. Also, sh- shout us some reviews. Um, we don't typically ask for it we probably should because that's how podcasts get rated and uh, things like that but head over to itunes give us a five-star review over there or whatever other podcasting app you want to use give us a five-star review there it it doesn't matter that they're all very helpful uh so however you want just do you but do like don't do you if you're gonna give us a four star um or like a three star or two star or one star just do you if it's a five star review um so that that would be my only advice but we do always appreciate you guys listening thanks for getting through we, we always we always have to ask for this at the end of the podcast because the people who like you know would give us like a, a three star review they probably don't listen this far into the podcast so that's a great so those point. of you who are still listening those of you who are still listening we appreciate you you're you're, you're our, our, our lo- true loyal listener, so thank you. <laughs> All right. We will talk to you guys later. For Frank Men, I'm Eric Name. This has been Locked on Bucks. We'll talk to you later.